from my standpoint, I always get people coming to me like, hey, well, can I do this program or can I do this program? You know, how do I qualify for that? And it's like, let's take a step back. What do you what are you trying to do? What do you want to accomplish? What is you know, what do you want to do with the property? Welcome to the House Hacking Success Podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. What's up, everybody? It's your host, Bradley Labrie, and today I want to talk about the podcast sponsor, Rentometer. Whether you already have an established rental business or analyzing your first rental deal, you know that getting the rent right is crucial to lowering investment risk and optimizing your rental income. That's why the go-to source for rent data is Rentometer. Property investors and property managers rely on Rentometer because it is the fastest and easiest way to access quality rent data for addresses and neighborhoods anywhere in the United States. You can also research current, local comps, trends, and property data. Don't take our word for it. Rentometer analyzes over 500,000 rents per month and gets rave reviews from customers. My property manager, myself, and my clients all use Rentometer anytime we are looking to purchase a new property to know exactly what we can get for our properties. Go to Rentometer.com today to get your seven-day free trial and save up to 60%. Grow your rental business smarter with Rentometer. What's up, everybody? Real quick before we start the show. If you go down to the description or the show notes for this podcast episode, there's a link and that's going to send you to a page that you can download our free ebook on. This ebook is really good. Brad wrote it and it covers everything that you need to know about house hacking in a very structured order so you can put all the pieces together. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. Today we have Sam and Nick. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm really thrilled to get into your story. You're in South Boston now, but let's kind of go back and and start at the origins, sort of what drew you to real estate and then uh, the dynamic in the relationship and who wanted to get into real estate initially. Yeah, so I, I think it started for us. So we actually started dating uh, when we were kids, basically. Sam was, I think, 15. I was like 16, 17. Um, so we started, we got together at a really young age, probably like Towards the end of high school, early college, I sort of got the bug. To this day, I don't really know where or how, to be honest, but because uh, no one in our family was doing it. I just started reading a ton. Like, and at that time, it was just, you know, the Google searches. I didn't know about bigger pockets or anything at that time, but just got really hooked on it. And I always kind of had a sort of entrepreneurial mind and all of that. And I think for me, I just wanted to sort of be able to create the life we wanted. You know, I, I think we wanted to be really intentional about, you know, what we did post-college. We loved the idea of, you know, passive income and all that. So yeah, I think from that point, I was really into it. And then it was getting up, getting Sam on board. Which is never easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so let's talk about that because I think it's important. And I think it comes from a good place um, because I know, you know, my wife, we had the uh, advantage of, of me sort of being in real estate beforehand, but I know there's a dynamic there and it's an important dynamic. Let's talk a little about that. Like what were some of the reservations at first, Sam? And uh, how were you guys able to come together and overcome some of those? Yeah. I mean, I think at first in this, our situation was a little bit different seeing as I was probably like 19 when he was trying to convince me that we should own buildings and, you know, rent them out to tenants. And I was like, dude, we live in our house like I can't imagine <laughs> being a landlord I was like 
what happens if my, I mean, I'm so like this in general, but my point to him was, well, what happens when something breaks? We're not going to be able to fix it. We don't know anything. Um, So I think that was my first large reservation of we don't own a home. We have never even rented an apartment. I mean, besides in college, which didn't really count. So how are we going to be able to do this? And, you know, Nick always thinks bigger picture of like, we're going to figure it out and then look at how great it's going to be. So it was a lot of long conversations, I think Nick said early on in our relationship. And then once he graduated and started his first job, we basically were talking like, you know, at this point we had been together for a while, let's move in together. And I think the first step that got me into saying, okay, we're going to do this was when all of our friends started renting apartments and Nick was like, let's move into my parents' basement and save money. (laughs) And I was like, all right, you know what? Fine. So that was like the first step of like, now I think I'm not fully on board, but I'm doing these things that are going to help me get to this end goal that I don't even know if I truly want. And then during that time, Nick gave me um, the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad to read and just begged me to read it. And that was really the catalyst. After that, I think that it's always helpful to have somebody else than your significant other to tell you why, you know, open the world of possibilities that, you know, good things can happen from this decision. And it was so hard for me, especially we'd grown up together. We had so many of the same views and thoughts and he was just like, it's going to be great. And I was like, you said that about so many things. So reading that book changed, totally changed my mindset. And then I was like, all right, we're in the basement. We're saving every dollar we make. Let's just do it. And that's kind of how it started. Yeah. Funny story on our uh, second date, I took my wife to a uh, Kiyosaki event. It wasn't, it was, it, Kiyosaki wasn't there, but I gave her, uh, I think it's rich woman, Kim Kiyosaki's yeah. Uh, woman's uh, perspective on Rich Dad Poor Dad. Um, is that is that the title of the book? I think so. I think so. Right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. So I gave her on her second date, and she looked at me like, "All right, this guy's crazy." Yeah, and uh, it was like an accounting course, and yeah, it was it was, it was slightly odd, but uh, it works. So. Let's talk about that. Let's let's dig into that um, because there is that dynamic that uh, my wife, you know, I think that's what got her on board too. She's like, this is a little crazy, uh-huh. but it gets us to our end goal. And and I think that was really the thing that helped us and a lot of couples was like, all right, you know, this is, um, and I love what uh, Dave Ramsey, which is slightly different than maybe what our community focuses on, but he talks a lot about live like no one else so you can live and give like no one else down the road, right? And I think that metaphor was really, without saying in those words, how I was able to help convince my wife was that something similar uh, for you, Sam, that like this big picture, you know, down the road, like we can live this life that that I want to live that I know we probably aren't going to be able to live if we go down the traditional path. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think seeing our parents go down the traditional path, well, you know, they did well in life for what they did. I was always saying to Nick, we want more. We want to be able to give back to them. And that's still our goal. Without having kids right now, they're our main priority until children come along. But absolutely. And I think I was, and Nick always says, the picture-perfect employee because I love the idea of just like going into a company, staying there my whole life, working really, really hard for somebody else. And I think once I had that, that light bulb moment where like I can do this for myself and be just as successful as I ever dreamed, if not way more, it was like, okay, there's a world of possibilities that I just never let myself even think that exists. So before we move into your story, because I want to get into that. I mean, I know you've done some six figure renovations. I mean, things that people really aspire to do. You, you, you've done it. But real quick, Sam, like touch on now that you've gone through it, you have a little bit of wisdom of going through a few deals, like looking back at maybe a, a couple or, or, you know, partners that are just starting and, and there are some of the reservations. How do you speak to, you know, those that are thinking about it, but they have the same reservations you had when you were 19? 
Yeah. So I would say, I mean, doing it with any type of partner, whether it's your spouse or another partner, I'm huge into over communicating. And I think back to all those nights where we just like sit on the couch and talk about it. And I talk through like all these fake scenarios that I was nervous about, or all of these what ifs that I would think through. And Nick would just kind of talk me off the ledge every single time. And I'm that type A person that needed that. And then I think through that conversation and those those like deep talks of these are my inner fears about going through this process, I was able to build a different kind of trust. It's not the same relationship trust that we always had had and we had built our, you know, our life on. It was this like business aspect of the the trust. Um, And I think that really helped us throughout the whole process. So we're still, we're still doing it now, but I would just say communicate as much as you can with the person that you're looking to, you know, go into this with. And if you feel at the end of those conversations, that kind of peace and like, you know, the sense of, you know, I think we could really do this, then that means something. Um, And I kind of just like floated off that. Yeah. And I I would add, I mean, I think the biggest thing, you know, I've learned for us is like, and I think it probably applies to a lot of couples and partners is like, you need to learn to talk to that person in like language that makes sense to them. So like, I am such like, like Sam said, like, I just really, for one reason or another, my mind is always sort of high level, bigger picture. And I I struggle, you know, how we'll actually make it happen, but I can project and all that. And I think I would always go to Sam with those huge picture things. And this Mm -hmm. is what we're going to do. And it it would just, you know, shut her down because her mind doesn't work like that. And so it would, you know, create fear and anxiety and all that. And then we would just get stuck and we wouldn't be able to move. So I think learning to just, you know, speak to each other in a common ground has been, you know, a huge thing that's helped us um, to keep us moving forward. So I think the dynamic is literally the same between uh, you two and my wife and I, because I always attribute it to like a bull in the china shop. Like, I'll just go right through and I like I, I see the other side and I just go. And my wife's sitting there picking up all the little broken glass I put and put it back on the shelf. Yeah. You know, and, and it's very similar because, uh, you know, Nick, you and I, we hang around or, or we read or we, you know, listen to podcasts and really understand that this stuff is not only applicable, but, you know, you could really realize it. Um, you know, common people like you and I can do this. But, you know, not all the time do we actually know how to get there. And so I'm sure similar to you, like all the partners that I have in business are always the ones that are analytical, that are, you know, the engineers. Like right now, uh, my flipping partner, he's an engineer, right? He puts together all the systems. Like, I can't do that. Like, I get so frustrated trying to do all the minutia work. It's not how I work. And my wife's type A too, right? Like, she wants to know all the details. And, and it's tough for me to communicate that way. But it is important to to realize those I like to highlight it here at the beginning before we get into your, to your real story. Because you know, not only in business, I mean, in life and, and, and you know, just marriage and, and things going forward, like you have to you have to recognize those dynamics and then figure out a way how to like reverse engineer how you communicate, you know, because the way I was communicate to her, she's like, I don't really care, you know, about getting over there. Like, I want to figure out how to get there. So we're very similar. Yeah. Hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. So, so let's dig into that story. Uh, Nick, talk a little bit about the first deal, kind of the struggles of getting it. You know, if you're like most of the people we interview, you know, like there's a there's a timeline. You're like like you, you probably made offers. You probably hit a lot of rejection. Talk a little bit through that first deal. Yeah. So we were looking for our first multifamily and we had set the plan like we're not going to we're not going to rent an expensive apartment, nor are we going to purchase like a, um, we wanted a value add property. We weren't going to buy anything turnkey. 
And so we were looking and looking and looking and offering and offering and offering on these value add multifamilies, having the most difficult time. And at one point we were out looking and we were just kind of walking one of the neighborhoods, stumbled into a brand new one bed, one bath condo. Um, and, you know, within the 24 hours, we were under agreement on it, um, which is just the farthest thing from what we had wanted or what we had planned on. So we got under agreement on that. And then we basically, we, we didn't understand why at the time. Like We were just like, we don't know what drew us to this condo. Uh, the but fact that it was in an up and coming neighborhood definitely was. So we were like, we have appreciation on our side. That was kind of what we kept saying. Yeah. Aside from the fact that it was brand new and shiny. And we were like, we get to live here. But we get to know. Yeah. So, so we got under agreement on that. And we lived there for about six months. Mm-hmm. And we were in the building we were in was basically, um, it was, you know, for, it was a six unit building, three units on one side and well, two on the other, but it was a joint three story. story. So our side was three condos and the other side was a multifamily. So Sam had become really good friends with one of the neighbors who was the tenant of the building. And one day she was like, Oh, you know, so sad. Like I'm going to be moving the landlord. Um, my landlord has to sell. They're moving to California. And, um, Sam was like, oh, like, I'm sorry to hear that, but can could you put us in touch with your landlord? So that was, that was, I guess, the start of it. And Nick was, funny enough, on a business trip and gone. So I was just sitting here and I'm like, we just bought this condo six months prior. Like, can we even do this? But she put me in touch with her landlord. I started negotiating via text with him. Nick came home from his business trip and we went and actually the the landlord was actually out of the country at the time so he had a friend open up the house to us and show us the house so we walked the the floor plan and i'm looking at nick going like oh yeah this is it like i knew a second we walked in um, the tenant had still lived on the first floor and then he had a bi-level unit so basically three bedrooms and a bathroom upstairs and then living kitchen bathroom um, downstairs and i said to nick we can just we turn it into the three family we have, you know, three condos on the other side. We can definitely do it. He's like, you're crazy. It's so small up here. So I was like, we can definitely make this work. So then we basically went back and forth with negotiations. And then we were leaving the country on a planned trip to Italy. So we left for Italy. We started emailing back and forth. And put it, we did a couple counter offers. And we ended at six. 20 for the property or 640? 630. 630. Yeah. 630. I was close. We ended at 630 purchase price and he accepted our offer. But two days prior, Nick proposed in Italy. So we're dra- we're we're on the like train or whatever going home or getting on getting to our next flight and we we literally just weren't speaking. Like there was no word. <laughs> I was like, dude, we have to pay for a wedding. Like you didn't tell me that. <laughs> this is gonna work. So we got home, we got our apartment. We, so the conditions for financing at that point was getting our place rented because we weren't we weren't selling our condo. So we got our place rented, moved out of our condo, moved everything into the basement of this house and lived through a seven month renovation while planning our wedding. And we moved out in like three weeks. It was a whirlwind. But that was the start. <laughs> That's, that's, that's awesome. You know, we, we had a very similar uh, situation. We won't get in my story, but very, very similar. So let's sort of go into 
um, you know, that place, the renovation, walk us through what that looked like, uh, hiring contractors, how you paid for it, even the financing on purchasing that place. Uh, I don't think I, you talked about what sort of loan you used. Yeah. So we bought it, uh, we bought it FHA. We just did the, re- we, uh, paid the rehabs ourselves. And so basically what we did, like Sam said, we took it, it was a two family, but the owner had used two floors as a bi-level unit because he had a larger family. And so we, we sort of ran the numbers like both ways, like, you know, is it, are we better off leaving it at two, having a larger unit versus three smaller units? Figured out it was going to be significantly better for us to have the three units, you know, the three smaller units. And, and so we did that. So we immediately uh, began with the permitting process, the demolition process, all of that to uh, to basically separate, you know, the units. And then we lived through it as well, which was I wouldn't recommend it really again, but it was uh, it was interesting. And then from the kind of renovation standpoint, we had no idea what we were doing. Nick's dad, who's still to this day helps us was is in the union and does he's a carpenter so he he definitely has some you know great experience but works like a normal job so it was one of those things where he was kind of our guy and he was telling us what to do and we were youtubing things and we did a majority of the work ourselves the only thing we really hired out was plumbing electric and that's basic and and tile and since then i've learned to tile so we don't need that anymore (laughs) so yeah i mean we and we had no idea permitting wise what to do we applied for our permit we're like we can start demo we'll apply for the permit and wait after like 30 days i was like nick i don't think we like have anything in the system and we just like did it all wrong everything was just incorrect and it's funny now but during the time it was like our whole world was gonna you know shatter and we learned a lot throughout the process but i think living through it and doing the work yourselves it was easier because there was no safe space to hang out it was a full construction zone we had like a we we put up a wall and taped plastic to it and that was like our bedroom and basically all of our things were in there and then if you went outside of the plastic wall you'd have to like put sneakers on or work boots because there was just like holes in the floor to the next floor like nails bad um so it was easy for us to just like come home from work every day because we were at that point working nine to five jobs both in the city and just work on the house until midnight because we were like a we want this done and b we literally have nothing else to do unless we just like lay in bed and stare at each other so that was helpful yeah well like I said, our stories are very similar. My uh, my beautiful wife, she when we met, I had a, this 4,000 square foot four unit, completely gutted to the studs, and I was sleeping on OSB with like a little couple blankets. And she's like, yeah, you can't live like this. So she brought me some plastic to put up, and she brought me a blow-up mattress. And oh so that was God. the origins. I'm sorry. So very yeah. similar. So that first deal, was that conventional financing? No. So that we actually did FHA. Okay. So you were able to do two FHAs. Walk through that. I know you're on the mortgage side. Speak to that sort of with back-to-back FHA. So actually, so the condo we purchased conventionally, and then when we purchased the multifamily, that was what we did, FHA, we did 5% down on that. Okay, perfect, perfect. And then we were able to do another FHA on our next house hack. We just had refinanced out of the current one. Yeah, yeah, basically what happened, we obviously, we did so much rehab that, I mean, we pushed a ton of appreciation into it. We refinanced uh, conventional within six or seven months, and then we purchased a Again, FHA after that. Perfect. Perfect. So what, walk through that uh, after you got the condo rented out and, and you completed that renovation. Kind of talk to what your situation were number wise and then what gave you the confidence to kind of say, all right, let's let's go for another one. Yeah. So the condo itself, as we said, I mean, it wasn't a true 
investment at that point, you know, when we purchased it. So it, we, you know, on a, on a good month with minimal repairs, again, it was brand new. We cash flow like 200 bucks. And if there's repairs, then obviously we're in trouble there. But uh, the multifamily, so we put in, like we said, we got it for like 630. We put in about 80. While we were living there, we were living for free. We now cash flow. We weren't, we hadn't even touched the first We did the renovation in two kind of ways because that tenant was living on the bottom floor who kind of had told me about the building. She had stayed, we had let her stay for two years. She had lived there a really long time and, you know, we were doing a huge renovation. It was nice to have her down there. So she stayed for two years. We did the top two. So kind of converted those two units. We lived in one, rented one, and she was there. And we were still at that point living for free. And then we had kind of said, you know, you have about 12 months to just find something that because she knew we were going to renovate. And unfortunately it was just wasn't going to be in her budget. So we said, just give us 30 days. Like we want to make this as easy for you as possible. And it worked out perfectly. She found a great place that was in her budget. She's super happy. And then we were able to renovate. So we renovated that place. And then now Nick will say the full members of of all three units renovated. Well, yeah. So we, so just by doing that renovation and she was significantly under market, we increased that rent. Yeah. Like $1,100 per month. Actually, no. Yeah. 1900 per month. And so now that building makes us anywhere from like 2500 to 3000 a month depending on, you know, what what's going on from month to month, but that's where where we shake out. Usually it's about 2800 bucks a month. Awesome. So let's go from there to the next deal. Like what at what point did you kind of get that mindset of, "All right, now I got the confidence. Let's go take on another one." We kind of knew like once we decided to wrap that up, we knew like, "Okay, we got to get the next one." So we, we just started getting on, on the hunt, you know, basically immediately once we started to wrap well, up that. We got married first. We went on our honeymoon and we're laying by the pool and next look, looking up homes being like, what about this one? And I'm like, we never stop. So just putting that in there quick. Yeah. So when we got back, so yeah, right after that, basically, we got back and within a couple of weeks of being uh, from getting married and being on our honeymoon, we got under contract on our next property, which was another kind of similar thing. And we've kind of learned like we always have these set plans and like set things and things just never really seem to go that way. So like we had this neighborhood that we're in now, this is South Boston. This is, you know, one of the top two to three neighborhoods most expensive in the city of Austin, most desirable. Um, It's all, you know, 22 to 35 young professionals working in the city. And we just were like, we'll never find a property there. It's not even worth our time. Um, You know, don't even consider it. Well, obviously, we ended up finding the house in that neighborhood. So we found this house and on the MLS, it was on the MLS had been sitting for a really long time. They wanted it was like 950 for a two family and not a huge two family. And when we walked it, we we were like, okay, let's at least see if there's any value add opportunity. We'll, we'll go check it out. Go down to the basement. And there's like nine foot ceilings in the basement. So immediately we're like, okay. Sold. Yeah, this is it. So within like a half hour after that, we went to grab a drink afterwards and we were, you know, we already submitted an offer. I mean, we knew right away, like this, this is going to work. Um, submitted an offer. And then, you know, by the end of the weekend, we had them cancel their open houses and we were under agreement on it. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that because value add, I think, you know, a lot of people struggle right now in this market. It's hot no matter where you are in the country. It can be challenging. I have every deal I've done has been value add. And and that comes from my background in, in flipping properties. Obviously, you're looking for in this 
this particular property, you got a, an additional unit. Second property you bought, you, you realized you get a second unit. Talk through like how you identify that, what the process is like that, how you, you know, maybe look at utilities, like how, how are you doing some of those sorts of things when you separate a unit for people that may also be wanting to try to identify value add properties. As Nick mentioned, what's up, everybody? Let's take a quick minute and talk about rent ready. Are you new to house hacking and wondering how you find tenants and collect rent, especially while trying to maintain professional boundaries and a shared living space? Rent ready can help you manage your house hack setup. For less than $9 a month, you can do it all. Fill rooms quickly with sites like Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist with a free professionally designed listing page. Find high quality tenants with TransUnion certified background checks, electronically send, signed, and store leases, and collect rent for the entire lease or set up month-to-month -month charges. For your tenants, they use RentReady's app to complete the application, sign their lease, and pay you rent. They can even submit maintenance requests from the app instead of knocking on your door. Even better, RentReady is unlimited, so you don't have to pay per unit or per tenant. Just one flat price, which puts more money in your pocket. And speaking of putting more money in your pocket, RentReady has given our listeners a discount to get 50% off any RentReady plan when you sign up using our special code SUCCESS at RentReady.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com using code SUCCESS for 50% off any RentReady plan. All right, let's get back to the episode. As Nick mentioned, both times that we went through it with the value add, so the first property was adding the other unit, and then this property, we realized the potential in the basement. We basically try to run numbers both ways. Like, if we leave it as is, is are we going to be okay? And then um, kind of like play with the extra space. So in this unit, specifically in the South Boston neighborhood, we had the footprint of the house is about... I'd say a thousand square feet on each level. So we had an extra thousand square feet, give or take with the utilities kind of in a closet back there mm -hmm. downstairs. So we're saying, do we want to add a third unit and, you know, convert that? Or do we want to make that first unit a bi-level? So giving, you know, two floors. And we ended up doing a bi-level unit for tenants, mainly because in this South Boston market, bedrooms rent for about $1,100 a bedroom. So we knew if we could add more bedrooms, and at the time, it was only a two bed, one bath on each floor. Um, if we could add more bedrooms and another bathroom, then we probably would be getting just as much rent, if not more. And we wouldn't need to separate utilities because it already is a two family. It would be less permitting because it's already a two family. So that's kind of how we made that decision. Um, and I, I think it was definitely a good one. We ended up converting the first floor to be a five bed, two bath. So there's three bedrooms in the basement and a bathroom, which we added. And then upstairs, we had the two beds in the bath that we just had renovated. And that rents out for $6,000 a month, which completely covers our mortgage. And then we live upstairs. Awesome. Yeah. And I think just on like the, on the big picture, I, I think the market's at a point where, you know, you're most more time, more often than not, you're not going to find a turnkey property that is going to cash flow, um, or at least at the metrics that we want. Yeah. Um, so it's just not an option. So we just try to, you know, find opportunities. I think I think we're also at this point in a bit of a sweet spot. At least we always say like we are willing and able to take on more than your average homeowner or newer person in the you know in the investing space. 
but the pro the projects we're looking at are also not the type of projects that the people at the next level like the you know the bigger investor or the developer they're not they're not they don't have enough meat on the attention on you so we we've been trying to just seek out those types of opportunities yeah no for sure I, i think it's a very unique space i think you know the two to four units or value add like you're talking about with single family townhomes uh is a space where you don't have the big institutional players in on because you know as an agent i mean i work with a lot of commercial investors that are looking at commercial properties and you're, you're talking about hedge funds you're talking about big institutional investors coming in on those properties but when you're in a residential space you don't necessarily have that you may be keeping you're competing with local investors but you have the ability to you know very few are going to walk a property like you did and recognize the basement as a value add because you know that's maybe just not on their radar and it's maybe a little bit larger a project but being a homeowner you have a unique opportunity to pull your own permits do to you know do the majority of the work yourself you know sort of doing it doing it at a stage i mean obviously we're both we're preaching the choir talking about how much we love house hacking and, and the value add space but i really want to touch on it because i do think adaptability is key in entrepreneurship no matter what you're doing specifically in real estate because markets are cyclical right they, i mean they're, you know they're, they're constantly changing the market today was completely different than the market was a year ago pre-covid in different ways some similarities but very different at least from my perspective and and it's just all about adapting to that and and value add right now is is kind of a crucial element if you really want to like you said get the numbers you were seeking yeah absolutely and so it's, it's sort of creating your own deals you know is really what i was getting at you know, to to a large percent, especially when you're in a very competitive market where, you know, I'm sure in South Boston, it's like a lot of markets around me where, you know, you got a dozen offers within a certain time, uh, you know, on any property that's worth its salt, right? And so it can be challenging, um, but it's also doable. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, we literally use that saying all the time. Like, your deal. Yeah. Because you can't, you're just, again, nine out of 10 times, you're not just going to find it. It's not just going to show up. You got you to gotta find a way to make it happen. Yeah, for sure. So, before we get into, I want to get into your careers, Nick, in the mortgage space and just kind of see the dynamic with that. Um, but just touch on that a little further, you know, the value add piece, because I, I don't want to freeze over that too quickly. I mean, I just think that's so crucial right now to everyone listening that, you know, that is in this market, a lot of times what you're going to have to do, you're going to have to be a little bit creative. Uh, touch a little bit further on that if you would. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I think it's something we look for. And I think, you know, I talk to a lot of investors or people looking to get started house hacking just with my job in the mortgage space. And, you know, so I'm talking to a lot of newer people now. And of course, we're still pretty new too. But, you know, they come to me and they're like, Nick, you know, I want to do this house, but like, look at the numbers. It just doesn't make sense. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. They, they don't make sense. But like, one, you're all, you're looking for completely turnkey or two, like, you know, a a lot of times, you know, in our area, a lot of the multifamily homes have like the small kitchen, like a formal, like the old homes have the formal dining room and then the living room. And it's like, you know, you can easily like right off the bat, close up the dining room. No one needs a dining room for an apartment and make that another bedroom. So it's like small things like that, that don't cost a lot of money, but most properties you can find a way to add the value to make the numbers work to what you need. Yeah, for sure. And I just want to touch on that because, you know, a lot, most of the clients I work with, I mean, that's what we're kind of identifying. Like, how can we, how can we go in and, and value add? Because, you know, if you're trying to get that cookie cutter, move in ready turnkey property, you know, it's going to have, it's going to have a dozen offers with it, you know, coming with it. If you're looking on MLS, if you're looking off market, it can be, you know, it brings challenges. Uh, most people are listing 
thing anyway, even if you come at them with off-market deals. So, you know, value added is, is key. And, you know, basements, ADUs, you know, which which we haven't necessarily touched on, but but garages, you know, secondary in-law suites, whatever that looks like. I mean, there's there's potential, you know, with, with the amount of money, you know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, uh, correction in the market. And, you know, I, I totally understand. But at the same time, with the amount of money, as you know, in the mortgage industry that that is backing a lot of these loans, I, I find it hard to believe that we're going to, you know, have, I mean, it's just, there's just a lot of upward pressure on it, you know, and so it can be challenging. And so really, it, it doesn't really matter. My point is, it doesn't matter what happens, whether the market cracks or whether they continue to push it uh, further up, there is potential in value add. And and I think it, it takes a certain skill set. A lot of times it takes getting around the right people, right? You know, whether it's agents or or other investors or meeting up, you know, a lot of there's a lot of virtual meetups now where you can kind of create the mindset. And there's a lot of cool virtual things going on where, you know, you can literally watch walkthroughs and, and while people are showing you, you know, the value add. And but uh, I just wanted to highlight it because I think it's important. And I think a lot of people miss that. Absolutely. Yeah, we couldn't agree more. So let, let's go into the mortgage stuff. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions. So let's address a little bit of that first, Nick. Like, talk a little bit through your perspective on these primary homeowners trying to buy multi-units or invest these type of investment properties and some of the maybe the misconceptions and some of the things people should be looking for. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think for starters, right, I mean, a lot of times, I think the couple biggest things I see is is one, you have the group of people that don't understand that, you know, you can do low down payment, you know, you can do FHA and there's other, there's other programs. I mean, we have, there's a lot of local state programs that you can do that are low down payment, even for two to four unit. So I think that's one of the big ones that I see a lot is just people, um, they want to get into the space, but they don't understand, um, you know, how they can. I think another one, like to your point, and you as an agent probably see this too. I have a lot of people that are like, you know, well, the I think we're at the top of the market and I don't want to I don't want to buy right now because what if you know prices come down and another thing like I tell everyone and and we agree as well like when we're buying if the numbers make sense today you're not looking to exit the property immediately I mean it's going to make sense in five years it's going to make sense in seven years as long as you underwrite appropriately you know from a rental standpoint I don't believe there's ever a bad time to buy so coupling that with the fact that we're never going to have interest rates or at least I hope we don't have interest rates as long as we do now isn't a better time to be buying especially for these people that are getting 30 year fix at two and a half two seven, I mean, that's unheard of. So it's a huge opportunity for buyers. And I think they have that concern that, you know, well, what if the, what if the market corrects? And it's like, that's still okay. As long as you're not, again, if you're not looking to exit the property immediately, it's a great time. Yeah. I'm with you. Like I listen to a lot of, you know, a lot of that sort of rhetoric and, and I'm fully aware that, you know, things are detaching from reality to a certain extent, but I'll never forget, you know, because my, my key, I think adaptability, again, we touched on it is the most important key to, to a sustainable entrepreneur venture, no matter what you're doing. Um, and I'll never forget in 2014, I was doing this flip and, you know, I, I love Robert Kiyosaki. He's one of my heroes. I've read every single one of his books, listened to every single one of his podcasts. But uh, in 2014, he was screaming from the rooftops, you know, that the market was going to crash. It was going to be bigger in 2008, you know, and, and I was literally losing sleep. I was in the middle of this, this flip. Uh, it was a big renovation. And I'll never forget, I was, I was losing an enormous amount of sleep about like, man, I'm going to be holding the bag. Like, I, I, you know, I'm not going to get any money out of this. Like I was, I was literally like freaking out internally um, and end up getting through it. 
of course, now we're here in, in 2021 and, and that being seven years ago. And the market, even if we had a 30% correction like we had in 2008, right? It wouldn't even come close to the prices that, that we're back in 2014. And I, I don't say that to say that, we're, you know, in another seven years, we're going to double, you know, the, the values necessarily. Maybe, maybe not. But my point is that had I, you know, there's always going to be people screaming on both sides that the market's going to, you know, you look at like things like Bitcoin, people talking about it going to 400,000, you know, like there's always going to be people talking about it's going extremely up or extremely down. And the key, I think, is just being adaptable to allowing you yourself to do either. Whether it goes up, great, you're going to still find value add. If it goes down, great, you don't, you probably don't need to do as much value add. But being able to do both, and you know, I think the point of house hacking is that no matter what the market's doing, you you have the freedom to be able to adapt because you don't have a mortgage. You know, you don't have this big anchor uh, tying you down to something. You have the ability to adapt. So let's touch on, you know, we, we you talked a little bit about kind of the overview of mortgages. So let's talk like individuals. You know, you, you talked about some in your state. I would love to hear about those low down payments. But you know, some of the more traditional like conventional financing usually, you know. If you correct me if I'm wrong, about five percent down is you know sort of standard for a duplex. It can be challenging for three and four units. Correct me again if I'm wrong, but in my area, you know, with conventional, it can be challenging with three and four. You generally have to bring higher down payment. Uh, FHA is usually a lot more, you know, for if you want to get a three or four unit. Uh, I personally, you know, did a, a four unit with FHA. You know, it's a lot easier. You can do that three percent, three and a half percent down. Here in Metro Detroit, we, you know, USDA loan is is a rural development. A lot of people think it's it's way out in the middle of nowhere. Well, there's there are pockets in Metro Detroit not that far outside of Metro Detroit, where you can use that 0% down, it'd be challenging. Um, but you can get, you know, duplexes, there are a lot of different loan programs, just talk a little bit through each one, you know, the the pros and cons of each and, and kind of how you look at each program. So I think it always for me, at least it always starts with with the borrower in their situation, right? So it's we're never going to I don't usually go into any conversation pushing a product I think it's really important to understand like what the goal is of of the buyer, what they're looking to do and like what their goals are sort of long term. Cause I think each program and the different programs are gonna have different sort of pros and cons depending on what they're looking to do. So I tell everyone, I mean, the last thing I wanna talk to people about is product. Um, because we just need to figure out what their goals are and we'll, we'll make it work. Like there's always going to be a way to make something work for them. Yeah. So from my standpoint, I always get people coming to me like, Hey, well, can I do this program or can I do this program? You know, how do I qualify for that? And it's like, let's take a step back. What do you, what are you trying to do? What do you want to accomplish? What is, you know, what do you want to do with the property? But yeah, I think for the most part in our area, in my area of Massachusetts, specifically Greater Boston, we're doing a ton of FHA and I'll touch on why in a second, but we do a ton of FHA and then we have a uh, state program. It's a conventional loan called mass housing, which is income restricted. So a lot of states have it. It's, you know, it's to get more people into home ownership, but it has a lot of benefits that FHA does, low down payment, they subsidize the mortgage insurance. So like my buyers, if that qualified, it's about half the cost of the mortgage insurance. So that would probably be my two biggest fits. We don't do, again, coming in our area, we don't have a lot of the single family investors. So most of mine are multifamily just because that's what our neighborhood makeup is. We certainly do do more USDA than you would expect, kind of what you're saying. Um, we have some pockets too that aren't far from the city that people are like, what is this rural 
model program. And I'm like, this suburb actually qualifies, you know, and it's people are surprised by it. Yeah. So I think we do a lot of that. But the reason I think FHA, so we do a lot of FHA and I, I think the benefits just outweigh the the negatives, right? I mean, everyone will come to me and I'm sure you guys, you hear it all the time too. It's like, well, the mortgage insurance is so expensive and all that. And I'm like, you know, again, in our area, they're buying 900,000, $1.1 million assets three and a half percent down. So you're getting into these properties for 40, 40, $50,000. And now you own a million dollar asset. Like, would you trade that for the $600 a month you're paying in mortgage insurance to own a million dollar asset for that? I mean, that's a really good return. So I think when you boil it down for people, like it's easy to get caught up in the minutia of it. But if you're looking to grow your portfolio and you're looking to do it at a low down payment, there are going to be sacrifices or some negatives attached with it, but it's, it's just making it work. So what I like to, you know, do with that particular, um, you know, take on mortgage insurance, and I understand where it comes from, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of both, uh, which is sort of odd, like uh, Robert Kiyosaki and Dave Ramsey. I actually really enjoy just the philosophy of, of both of them, but they're polar opposites, right? And so I'm, I'm always somebody that's always right in the middle of, of, of both of those. So I understand where, where a perspective like that would come from mortgage insurance, because you're trying to save money. But I always give the perspective of if you take a 40-year perspective on mortgage history, right, and you look at what our parents paid in the, you know, say the 70s and 80s, where they had mid to upper teen interest rates. I mean, that's 10% uh, the cost of, of the loan than we have. So you can see how how much lower you could you could qualify for, right? As far as so there's there's a first step. So you're paying massively more in interest rate, but then they still had to come up with 20% down. Oh, you know, you, you can't get into these products for 20%. It's because that whole era, you had to put 20% down, right? And so if you look at it in that perspective, and then you look at it soon that you're living for free, potentially cash flowing while you're living in some of these properties, you know, it eliminates that and it's you know and if you look at what a traditional investor would have to come in with you know because now my wife and i buy properties traditionally you know 20 25 down probably have to deal with balloon payments you know all the things that convert you know as you know you know in the commercial lending industry and we can kind of touch on some of that but like it's just it, it's such a if you look at it from that perspective it's a silly argument i, I sound like a broken record and she sam probably hears me on the phone with everyone every day but i'm like it's a cost of doing business i mean now we're a similar thing like we look at you know 25 down program. And again, we're talking million dollar assets. So so now instead of $40,000 out of our pocket, you know, now we got to come up with 200, 250, you know, and that's a, I mean, you can't even compare the two. So I would do anything to have, you know, and, and again, work it into your numbers. Yeah, you have $600 in mortgage insurance. Okay, but it beats coming up with an additional $185,000 for a down payment. And, and beyond that, you know, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds here. But like beyond that, when you're when you're getting into primary residence, you know, you, you pay the closing costs generally, uh, which are taxes and insurance make up the bulk of, of the closing costs. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that's roughly about two thirds, give or take of the closing costs generally and, and depending on the market. But if you're an investor that those taxes, you're still paying the entire year, those are dramatically higher. Uh, you know, and so I mean, just the whole, you know, you're bringing you're bringing a lot of money to close as an investor. And so, you know, I just view PMI, as you said, cost of doing business, but a really low cost of doing business. Um, and there's a there are a lot of if you do value add like I did, you know, I did a 203k, which is the extension of FHA and dramatically increased the value. And so we ended up uh, refinancing to conventional. But you know, there, there are ways I mean, markets appreciate, especially if you're in good markets, like, you know, South Boston. And you know, that, to me, that's the least of your worries. You know, if you're trying to attain something like you and I are. Yeah. And another thing like the closing costs, another interesting thing that comes up all the time. And I'm like, you know, 
like what we do with some of our clients, like, okay, so, you know, market interest rate, two and a half percent. And you have about nine or $10,000 in closing costs. So, you know, in, in exchange for that, why don't we do a two eight, a two eight seven five interest rate? You don't bring anything, any closing costs. We'll wipe it out with that. And you're already now getting an interest rate that was unattainable up until, you know, COVID. And so you're still significantly ahead of the game. You got a 30-year fixed rate at 2875, no closing costs. Like there's just so many benefits, especially being owner-occupied, that it's like, you know, when you you have to take a step back because it's easy to get hung up on, well, I have mortgage insurance or we have this, but you know, to the things we just talked about, there are just so many benefits that outweigh it. And for people that are looking to build a portfolio, I mean, there's there's no better way to get started. Yeah. And I think at least for me, you know, I mean, this has been a challenging year and a lot of people, you know, in just a lot of aspects, but being able to step back and looking at more of like a timeline of history, you know, whether whether it's markets or not, just gives you some perspective, you know, on, on, and especially in the mortgage world, you know, to where like, man, like we really are living in some unprecedented times to, to what they're allowing us to do. Um, um, and so the cost of business is, is so small. And I totally understand, like, I appreciate, you know, where people are coming from with that. But I think, and I think this probably touches on a broader uh, subject. It's just like getting, you know, becoming friends with Sam and Nick, you know, if you're in Boston market can kind of open you up to the broad, like, listen, yeah, we've paid this along the way too, you know, but we're, our end goal is this, you know, yeah, we did some crazy things. You know, we bought a house and got married, you know, probably within the same year, like it was a little, there were some challenges, but it, it brings some, some confidence when you're able to, you know, get in touch with someone in your market that has done it and can show you that perspective that like, listen, $600 a month to buy a million dollar product is a pretty low cost. Absolutely. So cool. Let, let's talk about maybe looking forward for, for the both of you. You know, you, you have the three properties. Uh, what's sort of on the horizon? What are you looking toward uh, in the future? And what are what are your goals? I mean, uh, just in whether it's real estate or, or fire or like what, what are what are your goals looking forward? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that's been a big thing. I think we, we both thought, you know, 2020 is our year. This is when, you know, we're going to keep expanding our portfolio. We're going to do X, Y and Z. Um, and it really forced us to take a, a big step back. Um, so prior to 2020 or at the beginning of 2020, Nick was was like not in the mortgage space. I was working a marketing job that I it was fine. Um, and we were both kind of just like, what are we doing with our lives? And throughout 2020, he was able to transition his career has never been happier. I stopped my W2 job and I'm focusing on real estate full time, which looks a little different than I think we thought it would look like. Cause I was like, I'm going to get a project. We're going to go into this. And we went from, you know, both dual income to, to no income. And, um, you know, we still had a project going on at the time that we did that. So we stepped back, we thought about kind of what we wanted. And now I think future, we are, we're hoping to actually do our first flip because, you know, we're talking about to Nick's point, bringing all this cash down to, to build our rental portfolio. We want to generate it somewhere other than just working. We have doing our first flip. I'm in the process of trying to get my CSL license to general, be a general contractor, um, because I personally really enjoy the construction aspect of all of this. It's funny how it worked out. Usually one person gravitates to one thing and the other, the other, but Nick was really like headstrong on financing. And I was like, let's tear down walls. This is awesome. (laughs) Um, so that's what I'm working on now and hopefully going to be able to, you know, run my own projects, which would be awesome. Cause up until now I've been doing it, but you know, not as legitimately as I want to be. Um, and then from there, continue to build our rental portfolio as well. 
well. Yeah. So we're, I think, you know, one step of that is Sam's going to kind of, we're going to start taking on some construction clients just because we've, there's, we're basically looking to fill a need. I mean, we've had, we get a lot of people asking us about it and she's, incredibly talented and really into it so she's going to kind of focus on that um which is super exciting for us and i think we're also yeah we're going to look to keep growing our our investment portfolio and i think we're looking to just tackle some more um like flip or development opportunities Mm -hmm. so we're looking to do that basically because in the city where we are we were really really impacted um by covid from the rental market standpoint i'm sure like a lot of a lot of people a lot of areas vacancy is gone up a ton we were running at like you know close to a zero vacancy and you know now it's double digit so in prices on multis haven't been reflected with the the new risk so you know we're kind of pausing a little bit hoping like few three will probably be able to get into another multi but yeah trying to take on some flip flip projects for now because the suburbs are scorching hot so we're really working on trying to get into those markets for sure for sure it's something that you know i think if one one aspect of what we touched on earlier that might be the multifamily because, you know, I see, I, I do see a lot of landlords that, you know, have gotten hurt during this whole timeline and they still, you know, they're still able to get, you know, what, what they want. And, and, you know, it's a little bit detached from, from what you would think, but I do think there, that might be an aspect that, that might see a little bit. And I've already, you know, seen some of that and, and we bought uh, some properties during, you know, just in the past month here that, that uh, were, were the cause of that. So um, let, let's talk about like, is it, that is a lot of fun. Uh, con- you know, I, I come from a contracting family, so it's a lot of fun. We just, uh, well, we'll be closing Tuesday on a, on the next flip here. So it's a lot of fun. Talk about that process of, of getting your license and, and kind of, you know, you touched on a little bit, but like, what are you most excited for uh, about that? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the license is overwhelming at this point. I have um, done all my steps and I'm waiting to get my test date. So I'm like, God, please make it be like at least four weeks so I can like drown myself in studying. But uh, it's exciting. I feel like, you know, just personally, I started out mindset of leaving college of I'm going to be the best employee ever. And then I was in these jobs and I never really felt like, you know, I never felt the fire, like I was doing what I wanted or what I was meant to do. And then we started doing these projects and I just found myself obviously just sitting at my desk at my day job, like sketching floor plans and sending it to the architect. He's like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't your job. I'm like, I know, I just love it. And I think I kind of found my my place. And, you know, throughout 2020, like I said, there was just so much reflecting and Nick was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to like go into homes and tear them apart and put them back together. And that's, that's all I know. Like, that's what brings me joy. So of course, Nick's the like, you know, you can do anything you set your mind to. And I'm the cautious one. So I pushed it off for a really long time. And I think now I'm finally starting to come around to it just like, you know, eight years, 10 years ago, when I was saying, okay, fine, we'll be landlords. Um, Same, same process, truly. And I think the idea of being able to kind of do what we've done on a larger scale for clients, and then for ourselves, it just opens up kind of a world of possibilities. And I think truthfully, it kind of gives me my, my, purpose back of like, I I left my job because I knew there was something that I wanted to do that like, I wasn't doing. But I think the chaos of COVID, the transition of Nick switching his job kind of put everything on pause. And I was just kind of in a daze for a while, like where, you know, where am I? So I'm finally feeling like we're back on track. And there's definitely no better feeling. And I don't know if you I'm sure I'm certain that you feel the same way. But without house hacking, without the element of house hacking, there's no way I could leave my corporate job. And it's probably similar. You guys probably could 
could not have changed careers, both of you in the same year uh, without that element. Would, would, uh, I, would that be correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no that's what, yeah. It truly is life changing. I mean, again, like we, we talk about it with people a lot and, you know, we were both making really, really good incomes and incredibly stable and all that. And the fact that we were both able to walk away from it and sure, was it, was it scary? And, you know, was it the same that we were, you know, like, was it the same level when we left? No, of course, there was a step back. Uh, but just the fact that we were able to do it mm-hmm. and still be completely comfortable and all of that, um, you know, it just would never, never, never have been an option without the steps we took with house hacking. And it's sort of, uh, I was just talking to somebody yesterday about like the cost of hesitation. And, you know, there is such a cost of hesitation, especially in this industry. And I don't know, to you know, I don't think about it enough, but, you know, I'm able to make snap decisions, you know, because of it. And I just, I can't, I just, obviously we're preaching the choir here. We both are in agreement, but it just, it really is so crucial. That element of being able to, you know, not move like a ship, but move more like a, a little, you're able to uh, maneuver, be adaptable, uh, which isn't, which isn't possible for almost everyone I know in, in you know, at, at, at my job with one of the top companies in, in the country, you know, that all make high incomes, but they're weighted down with, you know, home home debt, car loans, you know, credit card debt, you know, all of these things that they literally can't maneuver because they have such a burden on them. And uh, that's just what house hacking brings. Yeah. 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 And I, I think, you know, even like the whole community and all of that, like I think everyone we meet through the social media channels and all that, it gives you that sense of like, you know, you you are doing the right things. Because I think it's easy with friends and all that who maybe aren't doing the same things. Like you start to feel like a little, you know, like are we doing the right thing? Like when we're living in basements or construction zones, like we, we share like a old used car, like just all of those things. But then, you know, when we're sitting there like, talking about change and like making su- such huge changes like it was refreshing to not need to kind of be like well how are we going to pay the mortgage or how are we going to pay this like that part was was okay it was now just like how are we going to figure it out type of thing yeah yeah no i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more you know about uh a couple years ago i used to tell all my friends at my old job you know oh man like you should house hacker like i'm doing this or that and i i learned a long time ago i don't even tell them you know it's <laughs> they're like you're an idiot why yeah. are you living why are you living with a tenant and i'm like all right fine so yeah. yeah it is challenging and and that's where this community is so important you know and that's why we love having you guys on because it's just so it's 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 reinforcement you know that i'm on the right way you know you talked about having an old beater car i mean i had some nice vehicles when i was younger because i thought that was what it was i went cold turkey i sold them all i got this beater cobalt it ended up rusting out during the process i had it for like five years it had like 200 and something thousand miles on it my wife i don't know i don't know why she decided to marry me but i, I was driving <laughs> that thing and she finally convinced me to get a new car but like it, it was just i just knew i was on the right path i knew i had to do something dramatic and i knew that you know i didn't i had no idea people could i didn't even know multi-units existed i had no idea but i, I knew that it was out there you know and and that's where this community is so important i mean you know and so we really appreciate you coming on what are some things that kind of helped you uh mentally you know whatever that looks like develop what it will take to change careers get into house hacking and make it sustainable you know because i'm sh- i'm certain that you know as many as i do people that set out to do something and then a couple months later a, a year later they're doing something completely different right and that's just like a cycle for for them in their life so what what were what were those things yeah, I'll I'll take 
I'll go first. I, I think for me, I um, you know, I never struggled with with the drive or the motivation or anything like that. That was, you know, that was just all sort of within me. I think my biggest struggle has always been, you know, what will people think type of thing, and just from probably like a, you know a self esteem type of thing. I always struggled with that, and you know, I think it was important. Like I do a lot. Like I am now like a fan of like Gary Vee and and all that, and try to just build up like I sort of just build up the callus of you know putting myself out there now I do that regularly which is people ask me now they're like how the heck do you do this like and I'm like I you know at one point I couldn't do it but I think I realized like you know you, you train I trained my mind like the things I'm doing are truly to help people and I care so much about it and then like once you start to see that like people benefit from it uh is is huge and rewarding so I think like that's always been my struggle, being vulnerable publicly yeah. type of thing. Yeah. But but again, I think once you start to see that, like, even if it's one person that, you know, no one knows about, like, just being able to, like, give them some good advice or get them on a good track is worth it 10 times over. To touch on that, we'll uh, we'll do a uh, we'll do a challenge to each other. I uh, about a year ago, this this time was when I got rid of that beater. You should uh, we'll we'll exchange numbers after this. You should send us the picture of your old beater, and uh, we'll post it because I think it's important. You know, I think it's important in a world that so many people are like us. You know, so many people uh, maybe have you know they're around an environment like you, like all three of us were in in kind of our jobs and just society, right? And there's a certain you're supposed to do certain things. Especially you guys got married. We got married. Like there were certain steps you're supposed to take. You know, you're supposed to you're supposed to go get you know that house you know in the right area you know and you're supposed to do this you're supposed to do that and going counter current is really 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 challenging and so uh, we should do that today it'll be it'll be good for everyone out there that maybe is struggling like you like us three were and and my wife were you know several years ago i love it yeah <laughs> and i was gonna say back to you know books podcasts things like that Nick's definitely the guy that listens and reads and then passes them to me when he's like, I know that this will, you know, resonate with you. But to Gary V, to the point of Gary V, I think I like that too. And there might be people out there like me of sometimes I'm like, if it's information overload, I think I'm so type A that sometimes I spiral, which is why it's helpful that Nick's like, okay, you're going to like this, read this, or you're going to enjoy this, listen to this podcast instead of doing too much information at once, because I just will go down a black hole. And I like the digest digestible chunks that I get on like Instagram from Gary V. And I also think, you know, we started our joint account, which is how we found you about a year ago and seeing other people doing and succeeding in what we wanted to do helped me feel motivated and feel like we're on the right track because it felt, you know, more personal. Like, look, this, these people are and same thing with you. You know, you're just over in this market doing the same exact thing and it's working out. So hearing stories that are similar, especially when we were really starting out like that first project living through that construction zone, we, we weren't networking. We didn't have our account we literally felt like we were on an island of like just debris <laughs> and um and there was no way out but i mean we, we pushed through and thank god we had each other but and then the difference obviously there's you know that kind of faith that we we built up in ourselves doing the second house hack like okay or, or third you know we could do this but and then the difference i felt with having that community around me that second time posting you know the terrible things that would happen throughout the renovation that we ran into on instagram and having people be like same thing uh, can, you guys can do it. I think it's underrated of how much it actually lifts you up. So that was like a, a huge um, game changer for us, for sure. So I would say if you're starting out, you know, 
just immerse yourself. And I know it sounds so corny, but like create an account, do something, figure out a way to connect with people because it, it definitely changes the game. I couldn't agree more. Hopefully we continue to collaborate because you you have an amazing story. And literally, you know, a year and a half ago, you know, Drew and I, you know, we're like, we don't really know that many people. Like we, there's maybe a handful of people we know that kind of do this, but they're not really as passionate as we are. Like maybe we can find a couple people just around us in Michigan. So like, let's just start talking about it. And he had, you know, he's in the IT industry. So he had all these ideas. I'm like, whatever, like, you know, I'm game for it. And, uh, and it's amazing, you know, like how many friends like you we've developed around the country. And it's just unfathomable because literally all we wanted to do was just connect and build our own self-confidence in it, you know, and, (laughs) and, you know, these conversations that we're having right now, not only build each other up between ourselves, but now we have other people that, you know, we, I mean, we get DMs, you know, daily, you know, just with questions and people with, you know, they're like, man, like I thought I want to do this, but like, you know, what if people, you know, like we get people that are like, you know, people are going to think I'm weird and, you know, like just all kinds of things. And it's, and it's self-reinforcement. They're like, man, like you give us a lot of confidence and it was nothing we ever intended to do. Never set out to really do anything. We just wanted to find people that were similar in, in our state. You know, we, we never even thought we could, you know, develop relationships around the country and around the world, but like, there are a lot of people and, and, and uh, we really like highlighting it now and never thought it was possible. And so the same thing that you're talking about. So awesome, for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about real estate, like uh, books, podcasts. I know, you know, I know uh, you're not necessarily as many books and podcasts, but like what, what are some inspirations you draw from on the real estate side? Yeah. So, I mean, we do. So we, I mean, I listen to Bigger Pockets podcast, obviously. We have a, uh, a local one that, that I'll plug, Real Estate Addicts, which is a, uh, it's sort of hyper local, but we, we've got a lot of value out of it. We do Best Ever Podcast with mm-hmm. Joe Fearless. That's probably it from the podcast side, right? Yeah, I don't want to leave anyone out. I know. <laughs> There's a lot. But yeah, I think those are kind of the names. Um, and then honestly, people just like swipe up to listen. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm listening to. And we're like, okay, sure. You know, Nick puts it on yeah. in the background. We share an office. So yeah. things are just kind of playing. Yeah. And then from a book standpoint, I mean, I've been trying to switch. I used to do all hyper real estate. Now I've been trying to do more just like business mindset stuff. Um, So I'm really trying to focus on that. I I think I spent so much time trying to figure out like so much tactical stuff with real estate. And I think as I've gone through it and I real and I realize more, it's like, I don't need, you you know, I don't need to have this such specific skill set. Like I really need to focus on my mindset and like business acumen and those types of things because the rest, you know, you can always figure out or find someone who's an expert at it. But, you know, thinking sort of bigger picture has been sort of my focus lately. No, I'm, I'm almost the same way. You know, I, uh, I I spend a lot of my days in, in real estate law and, and contract law, you know, for developing that side of things. But I almost, you know, not that I intentionally do it, but I listen to a lot less real estate and a lot more things that I draw so much inspiration for real estate, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's sort of a, you know, it's a step process. You you know, you, ha- you have to get, you have to go hyper niche and then all of a sudden you start drawing inspirations from things totally unrelated. And so I, uh, I totally get that and understand that. So last question, talk a little about where people can find you. I mean, your story is amazing. I know a lot of people are going to draw inspiration like I have. Where can people find out more about you, reach out to you, sort of just follow along in your journey? Yeah. So we're on Instagram. Um, our handle is at Renos in real estate. And um, we are on it. You know, my social media <laughs> consumption was a lot in 2020. So 2021, I'm trying to limit it. But we're on it every day, checking our DMs. We love connecting with people. And we've, we've really kind of built a little community. And it, it feels great, as I said before. So definitely follow us. We love to chat. And yeah, we're really enjoying that. Yeah, and I do mine. I've recently 
focused on mine. Mine's Nick underscore Riccio, R-I-C-C-I-O underscore. Um, my page is mainly mortgage driven. I, I do talk house hack, but a lot of just um, mortgage financing specific stuff. Perfect. Well, we uh, we genuinely appreciate you both coming on uh, and sharing your story. We'll have to have you back on again and and sort of go, you know, maybe even more uh, hyper niche into the mortgage side of things. Um, people may enjoy that, but w- we really enjoy the overview because I think stories, you know, like you said earlier, Sam, like a lot of the, uh, you know, it, it is challenging sometimes to go hyper niche. Like you're talking about numbers and and in the weeds on a lot of different things, but but stories have a way of relating, you know, and and I think we all three of us got you know, vulnerable here, like we talked about a lot of our struggles. I think that's really, really important because no one, you know, I don't know about no one, but very few people actually do that, you know, mm-hmm. and and I know I got super frustrated with, you know, how many people were talking about the fluff stuff, you know, like the, you know, like the pie in the sky, like making a hundred million or like, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating, this, but but I wanted to, I wanted to hear all the vulnerabilities I was having, you know, and I think that's important. So we appreciate you coming on. Thank yeah, you absolutely. so much for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Appreciate no it. No doubt. Man. All right. You guys have a good one. You too.